And now, The Fine Print with attorney Jen Rout. Hi, and welcome to The Fine Print with Attorney Jen Rout. I am Attorney Jen Rout, and with me as always is my lovely sidekick, Ben Needenthal. Lovely. I have never been described as lovely before in my life. Oh, you're so lovely. Oh, <laughs> stop. I'm blushing now. Also with us today, uh, returning from our last podcast, is Chris Alley. He is my legal partner in Rout Law, and he handles all of that messy domestic stuff that I don't mess with. Hello. Hi. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for not kicking me out permanently. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, last week we talked about divorces and dissolutions, um, and we didn't really get too much into the kids. Um, and kids can be involved when there's not a divorce or dissolution. There's a lot of out-of-wedlock children being born. Um and so today, I thought we'd talk about custody and child custody, parental rights, all of that good stuff. All right. Another all right. fun topic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, so, I mean, basically, this is a, for, for the lay person, which is sort of my, my job here, is it, essentially custody is who is the primary guardian of the children uh, the bulk of the time. Basically, yes. Yeah. Who, and that, who, who has the rights and responsibilities of <laughs> taking care of? Uh, little Johnny. Yeah, and depending on whatever the situation is, whether it's divorce or just, you know, uh, like Jen said, out of wedlock or, or, you know, just however that situation shakes out, who's in charge of the kids? Correct. So, okay. Well, then uh, let's, I mean, what, what, what do we need to know first off about custody? K- kids are expensive. They uh, are. I think that's, <laughs> that. that's the first thing. Now. Um, last time we talked about a lot of, of issues with the divorce and paperwork. Custody is one of those issues where there's typically not a whole lot of paperwork outside of the expenses related to the kid. You end up with a whole lot more of what actually is going on, stuff that is super hard to prove uh, in court as far as evidence goes. That is probably one of the hardest or the hardest factor is to prove whether somebody's a good or bad parent in front of a court. Um, They have ways of doing that uh, that involve third parties in the case that that come and check out little Johnny and his parents and his schooling and all that stuff. Uh, We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Probably the first thing I would address would be, once again, if you can deal with each other on a civil basis, do so. Uh, You need to be able to work these things out for the good of your kid because you're stuck with dealing with the other side until that kid hits 18 or possibly longer, depending on the kid's situation. And it's important for any child to have both parents present if if possible. Absolutely. Uh, Moms are different biologically, socially, uh, mentally, and dads, uh, they're just complete different entities. And they serve different purposes in the kids' lives and their upbringing. Uh, where mom always has a certain approach to things, dad will have a different approach to things on darn near everything involved in the kid's life. So it's important for the kid to have both those perspectives and both the, those sets of feedbacks for every situation the kid go, comes and goes into. Uh, and when those kids only have one side, they don't get that balance and they don't get that rationale from both sides of the equation with mom and dad. Um, and, and that's something I think our society has big issues with at this point, um, with how the kids are raised 
and whether or not they have a balanced lifestyle and what you end up with with a kid that was raised by a single parent without any input from the other parent versus a kid who was raised in a solid household with both parents having constant input into their child's lives. Yeah. So that the latter there would kind of represent what I would consider a shared parenting agreement where everybody agrees and mm-hmm. okay. So what goes into that? Well, Ohio is, is uh, I won't say unique because most states are moving towards it where both statutorily, both parents have equal rights to the child. So the default should be, uh, at least in my opinion, some, some old fashioned courts that we have in this state don't agree with that. The default should be both parents have equal rights to the kid, have equal parenting time if possible and should work towards that goal. Um, what about equal financial responsibility for the child? That's going to be a different issue depending on each individual person's financial capability. You still end up in a lot of cases where dad is the main breadwinner of the house, mom has a secondary job, or has a full-time job, but it's not the same level. And then you have cases where they make equal amounts of money, um, or could be completely flipped and mom make more money. But the vast majority of cases that I've dealt with to this point, dad, they, they either make equal amounts of money or dad is still the superior breadwinner. Uh, and it's not really a competition in my eyes. It's just who's doing what. Um, so in that case, if the incomes are similar and you're looking at a shared parenting agreement, then you're looking at basically splitting the cost of the child, extracurriculars, day-to-day living, those kind of things on a 50-50 basis. A lot of times the court, if one party over the other makes more money, will change that 50-50 percentage and assign it the percentage of income. So if one party makes $100,000 and the other party makes $50,000, they're going to give the party that makes the 100 more responsibility financially uh, on a day-to-day basis of taking care of the child. So instead of the $100 fee uh, to play football or whatever at the high school, uh, the parent that makes a hundred thousand is going to pay seventy-five percent of it, as opposed to fifty. Um, so in those black are some... and white, that sounds ideal. I'm sure that it doesn't right. work out like that. <laughs> it, it, it does not work out that like that a lot of times. Um, oh, back to what I said last time we were here. Uh, a lot of times, the parenting issues are some of the quickest to get resolved, um, and a lot of that has to do with the strange factor of people actually listening to their attorneys and saying, "Yeah, we know that." dad or mom stunk while they were a parent in the household uh, or outside the household, but now we're in court and you have to prove it. That proof is very hard to come by. Mm. Um, it's it's hard to prove somebody unfit as a parent. Uh, even in some of the crazy uh, cases involving drugs and alcohol, it's hard to prove that. You may fundamentally know that the other party has very little interest in raising the child or being involved in the child's life. But once you're in court and you're fighting over it, it's another issue to prove that to the court. It's hard to do. Uh, Then you end up with situations. um, We have mom and dad in in a household. It's it's a functioning marriage for the most part. Uh, Something happens. They start looking at divorce. But dad's always relied on mom. Uh, to do you know the lion's share of the work with the children because that's just the natural roles that they have assumed. And dad's kind of like the backup plan to what happens with the kids. So when the divorce comes or the custody fight comes, uh, mom points the finger and dad said, he's never really been involved. He don't know little Johnny's teachers. He don't know what size shoes little Johnny wears. He don't know what little Johnny likes for breakfast, these kind of things. 
Well, he doesn't primarily know that because he hasn't had to. Right. And he hasn't plugged himself into the full capacity he could. Uh, so at that point, you know, the court still, most of the courts in Ohio will say, look, at the point you're looking at separating yourselves and becoming independent parents of this one little child, uh, or larger child, depending on how big little Johnny is at this point. Um, big Johnny. It <laughs> could be big Johnny by this point, yeah. Um, both parents tend to take on that added responsibility and get plugged in. And it's your role as, a, as an attorney to talk to your clients and tell them, look, if this was a situation and you weren't that involved, then you need to get plugged in hard and fast and figure out what your kid's needs are, what your kid's involved in. You need to get knee-deep, and you're going to drive your kid nuts for a little bit trying to figure out everything that's going on that you've laid back and relaxed and let somebody else handle for you. Because now, 50% of the time, hopefully, if the court swings your way, if you can get that agreement, whichever way it goes, but the court makes a decision or you all agree, um, you're going to have to take care of this child independently of the other side. So the quicker you get plugged in, the quicker you figure out what size little Johnny's shoes are and, and what he likes for breakfast and what it takes to get this kid to function at, at 7 o'clock in the morning to get him off to school and then come back the next evening. Um, those things are things that you need to figure out quick and fast and plug in and be a good parent from now on because mm. you don't have that ability to rely on the other side. Right. And that's a hard transition for some people. Some people do it very well. Uh, and I would say for the majority of them, most people do. They realize this is going to change. I have to be more of a father or a mother, depending on the situation. And they pick up the ball and run with it. Well, you mentioned school. You know, what if public schooling and mom's going to stay in the house and dad's going to move out of district? Does that play a factor? Do the kids have to change schools? Typically, the court will preserve where the kids are as far as schooling, peer groups, those kind of things, because they want to disrupt the kids' lives as little as possible. The factor is not what's best for the parents in these cases. It's the best interest of the child. Mm -hmm. uh, so if it's an advantage for the child to stay where he is and live in the same home, which is typically the way it goes, mm -hmm. um, then they're going to have what's called a school placement parent designation. So you okay. have, if mom's staying in the marital home, dad's moving out and getting an apartment in another district, there's accommodations that can be made there for dad to pick up the kid, still have the kid during that week, but then make sure the kid gets to work, uh, to school. Uh, but they will designate, um, you know, mom be the school placement parent so that we know what district is assigned uh, for this child and that particular aspect of the child's lives won't be changed. All right. It seems like there's a lot of places that this could get complicated depending on what the situation is, too. I mean, yes. You so, know, I mean, for example, like in the last uh, episode, you mentioned you know, like if there's restraining orders or anything like that, which I'm sure happens periodically during you know divorce proceedings. I mean, how does that affect having if restraining orders are very rarely given unless there's a domestic violence issue that actually affect the child? There can be a restraining order between the parents where mm -hmm. dad can't have contact with mom and mom can't have contact with dad, mm -hmm. which makes it kind of rough to parent. But they typically won't include the kid unless the kid is at danger directly. Okay. Um, and the courts, uh, the last judge I was in front of dealing with one of those issues, the judge looked at both parties and said, I could care less whether or not you like each other, love each other, hate each other, want to kill each other. You both have a kid. Both of you love the kid. 
So you're, you know, if, if the kid needs to stay in the house, dad pull up, y'all don't have contact, the kid walk to the car and you, and that'd be the exchange rather than y'all be able to meet like civil human beings. <laughs> yeah. Then that's the way we'll do it. But yeah. I'm not putting any, this judge specifically refused to put a restraining order that included the kid mm. because they recognize that it's in best interest of the kid for the kid to have the relationship with both parents just because the parents couldn't get along and because quite frankly these two were violent with each other yeah. and it was a 50-50 tie as to who was the most violent um, they did not include the kid because they were both very good parents they mm. just couldn't get along together it was yeah. just oil and water hmm. now that that leads me to something that I always hear a lot about is Mom's telling little Johnny these stories about dad. Or um, I actually just heard one where little Johnny went to school and accused his dad of something pretty major. Specifically, it was uh, molesting him. Dad had never done anything. Kid's six. That's not a term that... uh, Six-year-olds know. Right. So what about... um, parents talking to the kids and your father did this or your mother did that and how does that play out that those situations are the hardest because they're really hard to prove what exactly is going on in the household when the other parent isn't around um it's hard to prove that the kids being coached to a certain degree unless they start using terminology that's just way outside their (laughs) wheelhouse right uh Mom says that dad is, you know, you start accusing dad of being a pathological liar or a narcissist or something else that a sixth grader or six-year-old, for that matter, doesn't use. Um, Then you know it came from somewhere. Yeah. Um, So do they appoint someone to investigate? That's that's exactly where I was going. Uh, In a lot of these cases where you have contested parenting issues and it's just not going to get resolved, um, there is a third party that the court will bring in, typically either by the court appointing them or by one or the other side uh, filing a motion for, and that's a, a guardian ad litem. And that typically is another attorney who the sole purpose of is to work on behalf of the parties in the court to determine what the best interest of the child is. The costs for the guardian ad litem are typically evenly split between the parties or they're split back to we, we have a big variance in income then obviously the person with the higher income is going to carry the percentage load that that, that works out to be. Um, a lot of times the court will just flat out split it evenly just because, because <laughs> yeah. people aren't working it out. So we're just going to, we're going to yeah. go with an even split and you all deal with the finances later. Um, but that, that guardian ad litem has a specific job of going in and basically figuring out what makes this kid tick uh, what's going on on both households. They have to do in-home visits typically uh, to see how the parents interact, uh, talk to the child alone um, so they can find out what this kid's version of the stories are. And a lot of times that's where you'll get the information as to who's coaching who uh, or if any coaching is going on at all. Um, or if there's any validity to the to something like Jen just mentioned with molestation. Uh, a lot of times they find out things kid that are going on. A lot of times they disprove or get enough information where they create a lot of doubt as to what's going on as far as allegations go. Um, that's as about as solid as you can get in those cases because it's so 
uh, I, I guess it's non-documented things. There's nothing, you can't find a credit card statement that said dad molested the kid. Right. It's uh, he said, <laughs> she said. Be a really weird charge. <laughs> right. Yeah. But he said, she said. It, yeah, it's, it's your uh, word against mine. Who can come across as more yeah, credible? Yeah, not to mention if you've got somebody who's very vindictive, they could turn that argument as, into a And you see that a lot. When there's tends to be when you have these arguments over custody and parenting time, you end up with a lot of the he said, she said, and a lot of vindictive behavior. And those are the, the roughest to get resolved. And usually it's going to take uh, either time for the parties to calm down emotionally, or it's going to take a, a judge or the guardian ad litem. A lot of times the guardian ad litem is a godsend in these cases because they'll go look at the situation on both sides and then sit down with both parties, either independently or together, and say, look, this is what I'm seeing. There's either this problem over here with dad or mom, or there's I don't see any problem, and, and I'm going to recommend that both of y'all have equal time. And the court, for the large majority of the time, will go with the recommendation of the guardian litem unless you can disprove or prove that the guardian is incorrect or that there's certain factors going on that the guardian didn't see or didn't pay attention to. What are the odds of that happening? It's it's typically rare if you have I a good guardian. I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, if the court appoints somebody and, you know, they're probably going to trust that person's assessment. Yeah. It's one of those positions where you, you have a lot of trust with the yeah. uh, the court. I do a lot of guardian work in juvenile court uh, where I'm dealing specifically with totally different issues, not so much custody, but abuse, neglect, and dependency cases where I'm going in and trying to figure out whether mom and dad are getting their act back together to where they can have custody of the kids back typically, yeah. or if the kids are safe in the custody of mom and dad during uh, the parents trying to get their lives back together. Yeah. And and the court in those cases, it's, it's almost, uh, if I say it, that's what's going to happen, uh, which is good in a lot of ways and sometimes bad, depending on if your guardian alive is not doing their job. Yeah. So, but in marriages or custody fights, um, those cases, the court leans very heavily, but they don't take it as gospel. Right. So it's a little bit different treatment, but for the most part, they're going to look at that and say, this is what the guardian found. This is probably where I need to go because those are the eyes and ears for the court in those custody situations. Gotcha. What about, so we've talked a lot about marriages. What about, you know, baby daddy hasn't been around for five years. Kid's now five. Baby daddy's never paid any child support. Kids always lived with mom, but now baby daddy has has a new girlfriend and they want to build a home and have a child, so <laughs> he's going to get his child back. Well, make a new kid and just get no. Um, start, start, start new, start fresh. Uh, no, you end up with a lot of that. Um, and it's funny how you mentioned the new girlfriend because that typically is a motivator for a lot of guys. They want to appear as worthy of, of being a father at some point uh, um, with this new chick. And yeah. it, it's funny how that's a motivator. Um, the irony to me just... It, it She's laughing because she doesn't understand how the male brain works. <laughs> <laughs> well, i got to prove myself now. Yeah. Y'all are oh, God, nuts. This chick's going to think I'm a slacker if I can't take care of my old kid. Yep. Uh, but that's usually what goes to their head. Yeah. So they've been unplugged. They haven't been in the situation. So now they want to be dad of the year in two months or less. And if they've gone a long time without seeing this child, and this child's of significant age, then the courts will typically, and a guardian will typically recommend that they ease back into these things 
um, with supervised visitation uh, that lasts anywhere from you know three months to a year, depending on the situation. Hmm. And supervised visitation is when you have a third party, either the other parent or some relative that both parties can agree on, or um, someplace uh, that is like social worker type place where they have trained professionals that kind of sit behind the one-way mirror (laughs) and watch the dad interact with the kid for a while um, to to build up that rapport between the kid and the child. That's what the purpose of supervised visits are for and to make sure that that both parties are going to behave and that the child's going to be safe. Um, What is a significant age when when you said that? Like what is considered a significant age? I would say once you get as early as three. Okay. uh, Typically kids are, are... like jello they'll mm-hmm. they'll bend and fold into any mold you stick them in right up until about three or four years old right and then they start having more input into their daily lives and having more opinions yeah and they recognize who's with them every day and who's not right uh, before that eh, okay yeah. two's pushing it three is definitely they're old enough they're smart enough they know who's been there every day and who's not, and who is this jerk that wants to see me that I haven't seen before. Right, right. And you run into that. Um, I would imagine that's a trust issue for the child. Like, Mom, you're dropping me off with this right. guy. I don't even know him. No. I've never seen him. I have a, a friend who uh, she dated uh, a, a guy a long time ago who uh, and had two kids with him that, that he ended up going to prison uh, for basically drug charges is essentially what it was and you know he got out of prison he wanted to be involved in this kid's life and it was a whole process of him being slowly eased back mm-hmm. in and he's actually proven to be a, a, a good dad last i heard and everything's going okay but you know a situation like that i mean that's seems like that's a pretty deep hole to dig yourself out of especially if you've been in prison because i mean if there's anything that proves you're maybe not not a fit parent <laughs> that's probably a good one you know so yeah uh, and those are you know Back to the what the factors the court looked at. They look at your background, and if you have a, a violent background, or you have drug abuse background, or drug so, a sales background, if you're a pharmaceutical rep for uh, John Blow on the corner, <laughs> then you may not be the best influence for your kid. Right. Um, so those are the factors that the court looks at, guardian item looks at, in determining how to address moving forward with custody. Yeah. If you have that type of criminal history or that type of background that can be proven then they're going to look at that and they're going to be very cautious with how they treat uh, introducing you or, or advancing your parental rights and your custody levels. Um, so these typically, they will start out with a supervised visitation and move up to a, a short time of unsupervised time. So mm-hmm. once you've done you know two to four hours of supervised visits for you know a few months to make sure that the child is comfortable with you and everything appears to be going okay, then they might turn you loose with the kid for either half a day or a whole day. Yeah. And eventually, once that proves that it's going well, work into an overnight or a whole weekend at a time. Hmm. And it just progresses. It builds on each other as as the relationship grows between the child and the parent uh, and everybody's happy with how things Well, that typically mm-hmm. doesn't happen. There's usually some hiccup where the mom or the dad is still saying, no, they're doing this, or I don't like how they do this. That comes in differences in parenting styles a lot of times rather than actual, is it a harm to the child or is it something negative for the child? It's more of a, you didn't wipe her mouth with a wipe three times like I always do. Or <laughs> yeah. you know, some issue with you didn't dress her in the same type clothes that I would, but the kid's still perfectly fine, perfectly fit. It's mm-hmm. just a difference in style. 
Um, you ran into a lot of that when it comes back to reintroduction of, of children with parents. Yeah. Now, yeah. We, we talked about being in prison. What if you were, for all our purposes here, a good dad, and you go away for a year to prison, whatever reasons, nothing violent, whatever, and mom won't let you talk to the kids. Do you have to go through that same process if you can have... It depends back to age. Uh, typically not. Um, if there's absolutely nothing wrong with you, let, let's uh, throw up the scenario where you're divorced. Um, you had shared parenting, but you got deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. That's something that's pretty, well, right. uh, it, it's been an issue for the last few years. You come back from your deployment, you haven't seen your kid in 12 to 18 months, and the kid's now four years old. Mm. So the last time they saw daddy, you know, hopefully the parent that was home in state with the child was good about letting you have continued contact uh, via Skype or some other yeah. video audio to where they can actually interact with the child while you're gone. In yeah. those cases, the reintroduction is it should be relatively seamless other than the vet coming back is now in a completely different arena and needs to make sure that they are in good shape and, and are capable of doing what they need to do with their child. It's, it's uh that that's it's a whole other topic we can pick for a day <laughs> but but a lot of these guys come back and they're in a different mindset um and they need some counseling because it's hard to go from one scenario where literally every time you wake up and you go eat breakfast and you walk outside the wire you're in a, in a combat zone versus waking up and catching a bus and going to work or something like that right totally different area so they have to adjust their mindset and stuff to dealing with their child and their everyday life again uh both parents do because the other parent has to deal with the parent coming back sure um it's really easy to deal with somebody when you can just flip a switch and cut skype off yeah <laughs> it's yeah. another another issue when you have the parent in front of you and taking the kid that you've had by yourself for a year and you've not had to deal with them physically and you know where the kid's going to be every minute or every day uh that's when the helicopter pilot or the helicopter parent kicks in mm. um, you now no longer have ultimate control over your kid every minute of every day right so that reintroduction period if the parent that was home doing their job and trying to take care of the relationship um, while the other half was out serving uh, the country um, if that was preserved then it's an easy reintegration and mm. there's going to be some hiccups with you know parenting styles and relationships between the kid because now they're they're together instead of just skyping dad or, or right. mom whoever's being deployed so there's a little integration period, but for the most part, you can jump right back into it. Um, in those cases where it's not been friendly and it's been completely cut off, then a lot of times you end up with custody cases starting up as soon as they get back because they're being cut off. They have no contact. They haven't had contact for the last 12, 18 months. And in those cases, you're going to run through the same integration type thing where there's some supervised parenting time. And but it typically is quicker if if the person coming back from deployment is a decent person, right? And especially if you can prove that the parent who was on that was stable with the kid the whole time actually was trying to cut the other parent off. Hmm. If you start running into an issue where there's parental alienation, that's one of those key terms that you run into in, in domestic court. If there has been parental alienations, that is one of the grounds for flipping custody to to the non-custodial parent. Hmm. If you're not going to act like you got some sense and try to let your kid have a relationship with the other parent, you can run into big problems really quick. 
hmm. uh, and possibly lose custody. Wow. So hmm. you got to play nice when you have kids. Yeah. Food for thought. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's all for the benefit of the kids. Too. Exactly. You need to put your personal yeah. feelings and emotions aside and, yep. and think of what's in the best interest of the child. Hmm. All right. Anything else we should know about custody and... Uh, it's not cheap. <laughs> it's 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 one of the most. That's probably the most frustrating area uh, of doing domestic law that there is, um, because it's the hardest to prove. Um, there's just not a paperwork background behind. Even with school, if you're the one that does the homework with the child every night, it's still hard to prove that you're the only one doing the homework. Yeah. And if both parents are plugged into the schools, the schools are going to be neutral to a large degree. Uh, they don't want to get involved with it. They don't want to have a factor with it. Um, I would I would say prior to going down the road of arguing like idiots in front of a court over who should do what, if there's a sincere with problem with one side or the other, drug abuse, alcohol, um, some type of lifestyle issue like drug sales, <laughs> something <laughs> along those lines that are provable, yeah, then those cases are typically easily resolved. If it's just a parenting style issue or a difference in opinion over how to take care of the kids or a control issue yeah. where one party over the other wants control of the kids, those are the, the situations where nobody's going to win. Everybody's going to be poor on the other end of this thing, and the kid's going to be tore up yeah. um, because mom and dad won't get along. Those situations, the kids ought to be plugged into counseling as soon as possible. And I would say the parents, too, because the parents need to be in the right frame of mind just as much as the kids. The kids need to know how to deal with it. The parents need to know how to get over their issues and move on for the best interest of the child instead of being petty and yeah. self-involved. It seems like the takeaway from both of your visits here is if you have to go through this, don't be a dick. <laughs> just, just don't be a dick. And things uh, will... It, it, divorce sucks. You know, custody mm -hmm. problems suck. And it's not going to be a pleasant experience but at the end of the day if you treat everybody with respect then things will work out in a way that's it's as a, good as you can it's a lot of you get out of it what you put in it yeah. if you're a monster going into this thing and you fight like cats and dogs at the end of you're not going to be happier on the other side of things right you just aren't because right. you're not going to get that need that to win or anything else satisfied, typically. Yeah. Even if you win, you know, the $50,000 retirement account yeah. for some strange reason in the case, whatever the situation is, you still won't be satisfied because there's something else that you should have gotten out of the other person's rear end in this case. Yeah. Um, and those type people, they really need to go to counseling. Yeah. They need to figure out, you have to be at, at peace with yourself before you can be at peace with others. And the first thing you need to do is figure out what your issues are before you start pointing the finger at somebody else. It's a and very zen approach. <laughs> I know. I feel like but you stay home. But it's true. Yeah. If if you're a complicated person that never is in the, can get their stuff together, that can never be happy with what's going on, look internally first. Yeah. Um, go get that address and then figure out where your relationships with other people are going because that's going to be a factor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thanks for coming, Allie. Um, I'm looking forward to Ben's lawyer joke of the week, but first we have some housekeeping to take care of. Um, if you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook. That's kind of our primary landing page where you can comment, get news, suggest topics, ask questions that we'll address on future episodes. 
if you are already following us, thank you. We love you. We really do. <coughs> and uh, if, you, if you're interested, you can follow Boxland Media on Facebook as well. We do lots of things up to and including the fine, uh, putting out the fine print with Attorney Jen Route every week. Uh, if you're a Twitter user, I am at the Almighty Ben on Twitter. Jen is still not on Twitter and probably won't be anytime soon. Nope. <laughs> but following Boxland, really good website. They do a lot of stuff. Very cool stuff. Um, if you are new to the show, welcome. We hope you come back. And if you like the show, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes out of your very busy day, head on over to iTunes, rate and review us. It really helps us out a lot with our visibility on the world's largest podcast repository. And finally, we would like to thank you, all of our listeners. It is because of you that our podcast even exists. Uh, if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, and remember, sharing is caring. Jen, would like to, would you like to hear the lawyer joke of the week? Absolutely. All right. Uh, <clears throat> what is the difference between a vulture and a lawyer? I don't know. The vulture doesn't get frequent flyer miles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's just so many of those. <laughs> I know. There's so many. It will never run out. No. All right. Well, until next week, I am Ben Needenthal. And I'm Attorney Jen Rout saying ignorance of the law excuses no man from following it. All right. We'll see you next week, folks. This program is meant to be informative in nature and does not constitute actual legal advice or form an attorney-client relationship in any way. Views and opinions stated in this program are solely the views and opinions of the speaker. Each situation is different. Always consult an attorney in your state to analyze your specific legal needs. This program may change your views of attorneys in general, as they are not what they seem on TV. I mean, seriously, could the main character in Suits actually exist in real life? Boxland Media. Think big.